Hi and welcome to the Final Whistles Premier League Weekly presented by Live Now. Surprise, surprise, as Manchester City drop points to Southampton, while Manchester United get an all-important victory. Could these results prove to be crucial at the end of the season? Meanwhile, there are several VAR controversies again in the league, and we'll try to run the rule over those decisions. And of course, we've got some not-so-chirpy FPL chat on today's episode as well. All that and more on the Final Whistles Premier League Weekly presented by Live Now. Hi everyone, I'm Deepan. And I'm Raushan. Raushan, as far as FPL game weeks Best. go, <laughs> that has got to go down as one of the most disastrous ones For ever. you? Uh, I think in my time playing Fantasy Premier League, I've never gotten such a low point. Uh, I, I still have one more player by right to go, uh, who of course won't be featuring in the game, unfortunately. because So I, you don't have another player? I, I captained uh, Emmanuel Dennis, uh, just like many other FPL players. But wow. No attacking returns, no defensive returns is a disastrous game. There's one word to describe this, bro. Karma. Last week, couldn't uh, even fit through the door. Ka- karma is a hard word to use, because <laughs> like, uh, still riding above you at okay. the Fantasy Premier League, but not sure for how long more if this continues. Uh, but before we carry on with the show, I've got uh, this week's trivia question to ask you. Hit me. Uh, he's no commando, but uh, Josh Sargent. Uh, led Norwich to a 3-0 victory over Watford this past weekend. Uh, he's, of course, an American, as you would know. I thought that was going to be the question. <laughs> uh, who has the leading appearances for Americans in the English Premier League? Tim Howard. Is that your final answer? Uh, one of my uh, <laughs> answers. If it's wrong, I'll come back again towards the end of the show. So you're locking in Tim Howard, yeah? yeah? Tim Howe is the wrong answer. Okay, okay. I'll come back to another option. Can I have a clue before we go along? No, uh, you sit on it first. Okay. Then okay. later I'll give you more clue. But okay, okay one clue. La. He's uh. American. Hey! <laughs> <laughs> okay, another good clue I'll give you. Uh. He did not play for many top sides. Okay. Uh, but he played for one club for a very long period. Okay. So okay. He, he has a few clubs in the Premier League, uh. but for one particular club, he played for quite a Brad Friedel. That's correct. Yeah, get it. Brett Friedel has uh, 450 appearances nice. uh, in the Premier League as American. So, Tim Howard was second. You want to guess who's third on the list? Uh, forward. Uh, uh, what's his name? Brian McBride? Nope. American striker. Fulham. Think Fulham. Spurs. Uh, Sp- uh, Clint Dempsey. Yes, Clint Dempsey okay. was uh, third with 218 appearances. Nice. So, uh, just a bonus trivia. Top scorers in the Premier League who are Americans. Who would you guess? Uh, wow. Clint Dempsey? Yes, correct. Clint Dempsey with 57 goals and second was? Brian McBride? Yes, with 36 goals. Wow, I so, should be uh, making money for these <laughs> correct answers, bro. I should give 50 cents for each answer. <laughs> Not bad. I can buy myself something. Alright, let's move on to review the matches of the past weekend. Uh, but before that, we will start with the Live Now game of the week, which was of course Manchester United versus West Ham. Just remember that for the forthcoming campaign, Live Now will offer single match passes for the Premier League and provide a flexible option for football fans in Singapore with the ability to purchase pay-per-view passes for one fixture per match week. And we know you fellas listening in love a good giveaway, as do we, to be honest, and we've been doing it all season long. So don't forget to go to our Instagram or Facebook page at Whistle to find out how you can win three free Premier League match passes each week for yourself. And as Deepan mentioned there, this week's Live Now featured match of the week was Manchester United against West Ham. Deepan, still buzzing? 
still buzzing, bro. I think, uh, you know, I was uh, on the phone uh, texting my girlfriend when I was, I think it was 90 second minute. There was three minutes at a time, right? So 90 second minute, I, I typed him into the chat box, uh, waste of my time. Yeah, and yeah. then just as the ball went to Cavani, and then he went across to Rashford and he went in, like without even deleting what I had typed, I I typed, oh my God, get in. So it was basically, <laughs> the message came out as, waste of my time, oh my God, get in. <laughs> so, you know, that, that clearly describes how I had already resigned myself yeah. to, you know, United not getting the three points. And that was the way it was looking for the majority of the game. I think we were frustrating in possession. Uh, but I feel still, you know, United were slightly the better team on the 90 minutes of the count. But I think what is important here is to look at the positives. Uh, I think out of possession, United were fantastic, I yep. think. I think in terms of pressing, uh, the triggers in terms of when we decided to press and when not to press, uh, Maguire, Varane, Dalot and Telex also looked proactive in defence. So I think in, in a lot of previous matches, we seem to be quite reactive when defending, especially Maguire. Mm. I think he's been atrocious this season. That's clear for all of, all of us to see. But in this particular game, Maguire was proactive in his defending. He was. One-on-one defending, I think against uh, Bowen and Antonio on both occasions, he, was, he went in hard which we have not seen United do a lot of times. So uh, those were the positives I took out from, from that game. What about you? He got the early challenges right. Harry Maguire, absolutely. In that game, first few challenges, he got them right and then he set the tone, right? I think I think the back line which United played uh, with uh, Maguire, Varane, uh, Teles and Dalo will be Ralph's first choice defence as long as all of them stay fit. So I think it was important they put a performance like that together. I take your point. United didn't really create as much as yep. they should. It was a fairly boring game, to be fair. But when it mattered most, they eked it out, I think. And there's no point to having as much strength in depth as Manchester United do if you don't take advantage of it. And I think not just in this game, but the past game as well, I feel like Ralph has learned from the Aston Villa game where we were leading 2-0 and then we went on to settle for a point. Since then, I think he's improved his game management in two games consecutively. Another thing I think Ralph deserves credit for is his adaptability. I feel when he first came in, he obviously is the big um, lecturer almost, or he's a big champion of the 4-2-2 formation. I think he tried it a couple of times. He realised it's not working. He realised perhaps he doesn't have the players to make that system work. So he's gone back to something that we are more accustomed to seeing, uh, 4-2-3-1. But... There is still the stamp of Ralph in a sense, like you mentioned, out of possession. They know how to how to defend as a team, how to go about doing their business more clinically. I think prior to Ralph coming in, we were conceding what two goals a game, mm-hmm. almost two goals a game. The ratio must be somewhere mm-hmm. there. Since then, I think he's really tightened it up at the back, and the fact that he's done it with the same crop of players, I think Ralph deserves massive credit in ter- credit in terms of coaching. Yeah, so I, I agree predominantly with what you said, uh, except for, I think I'm, I've been satisfied with watching uh, be it Varane all in the love sometimes and now Varane and Maguire and Dalo as well. Uh, I think has been an improvement on what uh, one Bissaka offers going forward. But for Teles, I'm not quite sure. I, I still believe Shaw is by far a better player than Teles. Teles, I think, offers a lot in terms of set pieces and what he can bring in that regard. But as a player going forward, I don't see him beating uh, his fellow fullbacks or I don't see him you know really being involved in action as much as what I can see Luke Shaw doing but of course Luke Shaw has been injured and out of the picture for, for the last few games but I think when he comes back in I, I do see United being uh, a better threat going forward from the wide areas and speaking of the wide areas I thought Ilanga and Greenwood 
did their fair share of defensive duties as well, which is good to see from yep. young players because Greenwood is not the kind of player that you would expect going the other Early way. Early in the season, we we barely saw that side yep. of Greenwood at all, right? There was no coming back or anything. He was an exciting player go- going forward. He started the season very well, but to your point, he never used to do that dirty side of things. So I think there were instances in the game where he was helping the right back out, which you like to see, especially for a young player. I think Ronaldo said this in a couple of interviews that younger players are not willing to listen and learn. I think Greenwood very much took that personally and seemed to take the manager's advice on board. And at this point, I think also Tony Martial, yes, he didn't have a major impact. He did play a part in that goal, but he didn't have a major impact. But even for a player like him who, for the longest period of January, looked so marginalised, looked to be on his way out, had that whole Instagram Ferrari with the club... To come back and play a part in that, I think it will do well for for motivation levels amongst the players. Yeah, I think going forward now, I think United got you know that that run of fixtures that will help them. Uh, of course, they've got Burnley in the Premier League uh, when they eventually return to Premier League action on the 9th of February, uh, and then of course they've got Southampton and Leeds United to follow after that. Before we go into the Champions League, yes, we are still in the Champions League. So I think United can build on this. So it'll be interesting to see whether. Um, they really show a good run of form and, and solidify that fourth place which they really, really, really need. You talk about the fixtures, that's final point on this. I'm looking at the fixtures. February looks decent, looks manageable. And then I look at March, I'm a bit afraid to be fair. We got Man City, Tottenham, Atletico in the Cup, Liverpool, Leicester, uh, possibly Everton who might turn a new leaf by then. But to your point, February is an important month to, to build on this and at least be within, I don't know about solidifying the fourth place because I think Spurs might be there or thereabouts, but at least be in the frame to challenge for the remainder of the season. All right, uh, let's look at other games in the in the week. Uh, the week started with a shock result. Uh, Watford huge shock going down three 0 at home to fellow relegation uh, favorites Norwich City. I think early on in the season, or maybe about a few games after, uh, a lot of pundits, I think including us as well, had already resigned Norwich to going down. You know, it was almost a foregone conclusion that they will go down. But slowly but surely, they are starting to, you know, pick out good results. I mean. The fact that 3-0 against your relegation uh, contenders is is quite a big result. So, uh, is this down to Dean Smith or do you think that the quality is finally starting to show because you you feel they've got the players? It must be down to Dean Smith, I feel, because, look, it's the when you're at the bottom, right? If you string together two, three results, suddenly the table looks very different. And I think that's what Norwich has, Norwich has done. I don't think anybody expected them to get a win, let alone two wins back-to-back. Yes, the scoreline flattered Norwich a bit to win 3-0 against Watford. But again, to beat a team in and around you like that convincingly, I think that will give them a lot to hold on to. Having said that, they still have work to do because teams below them have games in hand. Yep. So while now the table looks quite promising in the sense that they are out of the bottom three for the first time in a long while, there are still teams that one slip up and then they are back right back in it. So I think Norwich, as positive and peachy as it is now, Dean Smith's hardest work is not done yet. Uh, do you fear for Watford? Now, of course, there's rumours coming about about uh, Ranieri that he might be on the way out. Uh, to me, you know, like I said earlier in the season, I mean, the, the decision to sack the previous manager and then to appoint Ranieri is not something that I agreed with at that point of time. Um, it's looking like a daft decision right now. Would you say because of this decision making, Watford will be going down? Uh, Watford have been like that for the longest time, right? Mm-hmm. It's not. I, I take your point about why would you sack your manager and bring in Ranieri at that point, but that's how Watford operate. I almost feel if they do sack Ranieri now, it's as good as them saying we're going to get relegated. Purely because I expect if they do 
sack Ranieri and bring in a new guy, it's to challenge in the championship already. Mm. Uh, they they will maybe hope that this new manager they bring in gives them that bounce to try and reel themselves out of it. But they're running out of games. And he's essentially going to come at a time where he's not going to get the players that he wants. So essentially, they are saying, it's okay, we'll get relegated, but we'll bounce right back up, which is... Clubs like Watford, clubs like Norwich, clubs like Fulham who are flying in the championship, they they are in that space where they'll bounce up to the Premier League one season and then bounce back down and bounce up their yo-yo club in that way. So Watford, I feel, are not going to escape the drop and if they do sack Ranieri, then it's all but certain that they will get relegated. So before I move on to, to the next game, of course, uh, Burnley sit at the bottom of the Premier League uh, but they have got 18 games played while Norwich City saw themselves come out of the relegation zone but they have got 22 games. Look, I, I'm looking at the table right now, but I feel when it comes down to the later stages of the games, I think even Brentford might be dragged into the relegation battle. You look at 14th all the way down to 20, because of the fact that some teams have played more, some teams have played less, I see all of these teams going into a, a big battle. So, or maybe this is something I wish for, because for a very long time, we've had relegation battles where, you know, going into the later stages of the season, it's already, we already know who are three teams going down. But I do see Brentford getting dragged down, and I, and we will go to that later when we speak about Brentford. But the likes of Leeds, United, Everton, you know, I think they, they don't have the quality at the moment to see, say very strongly, look, we're not going to be a relegation battle. Which brings me to the next game, Everton against uh, your favourite manager in the Premier League, uh, Steven Gerrard. Aston Villa. Uh, I, I thought Everton will have a bounce back effect in this game simply because, you know, they've got rid of Rafa Benitez, Duncan Ferguson comes in and they'll do well. Uh, but I thought Aston Villa were by far the better team in this encounter and they, clearly it shows Everton, for all the players that they have, even if they have returned back to full fitness and all, you need to have a Premier League experienced manager there. For all you know, Duncan Ferguson could be given a job till the end of the season and whether that is a good decision, I'm not quite sure. The latest name being linked to the job is uh, Vitor Pereira. Uh, again, not a name that inspires you by any stretch of the imagination. So, again, do you agree with me that Everton could get dragged into this relegation battle simply because we see all these teams in and around there, Norwich, Newcastle, Watford, Burnley. It's not like the quality is so different from what Everton has offered this season. No, 100%. Everton are, are not safe. Not safe at all considering the... I think... On paper, you think they have a squad which is decent enough to survive the Premier League. But when you look at their results, and I'm just looking at their results here, the last time they kept the clean sheet was on 7th of November. And that's, what, two and a half months ago. That's a crazy... I mean, obviously, that's why Rafa Benitez yeah. got sacked. But the reason I bring up that clean sheet stat is because, to answer your question, I don't think Everton have it in them to find that belief now. It, to your point, Aston Villa were the better team at the weekend, but that's because the trajectory of both those clubs are complete opposite. Aston Villa have this wonderful feel-good factor. They've got Steven Gerrard as a manager. They've got big names coming in for signings. They've got even other bigger names linked to the club. And then you have Everton who are shambles of a club. So the the confidence part is absolutely bereft for Everton and that's my biggest worry for them because like I said earlier, maybe they do have the players in the squad, but if you keep getting knocked on week in, week out, yes, it was a much improved for performance to only lose 1-0 to Everton, uh, to Aston Villa, I guess. But at the end of the day, it's not three points, is it? And if they are not careful, the teams around them can possibly pull them in. And that would be a big, big problem if Everton don't get their managerial situation ironed out as well. And I think that's why they haven't 
confirmed Duncan Ferguson as the interim for the rest of the season. I think that's weighing on the board's mind as well because Premier League survival is the be-all and end-all, right? Yep. If you find yourself in the championship, then it's a whole different battle altogether. And I don't think Everton can afford that. So I think that's why they are dragging their heels over the appointment of Duncan Ferguson. I think the break in schedule over the next couple of weeks has come at a good time for Everton to try and sort their mess out. But they need to get the next managerial appointment right to give themselves a chance because otherwise it's going to be very hard to get belief into that team and that's why like I said last week perhaps Rooney is the one who has to come in and inspire mm-hmm. belief we've seen what he can do at Derby and at this point I don't think Everton are going to come out and break the bank and sign players right you need to work with what you have and Rooney has proven that he can work with what he has and what he doesn't have as well so perhaps only Rooney can save them at this point yeah and and you look at the stats like you mentioned one win in 14 games is shocking I mean I don't see how like Everton fans if they're not already concerned uh, where that, that confidence is coming from simply because they're Everton because I don't think it works that way because you look at the players Michael Keane Yerry Mina uh, even your Mason Holgates they are to me just at best championship level I mm. don't think they're Premier League level at all so worrying times for the Toffees uh, Aston Villa on the other hand though they seem to be going from strength to strength every week uh, I told you before we started recording of course Rodrigo Benton Kerr uh, the next player link with them no how far do you see Arsene Villa going in, in this Premier League season? Or is it too early to say that Gerard's uh, Im- impact might get them to you know uh, Europe? I think for this season, Aston Villa will purely be hoping to finish at least in the top half of the table. I think European football might be a stretch for them this season, just looking at the points. But I don't think that's, that's in Gerard's mind to secure European football. He has said bringing the club to Europe eventually is the plan, is the dream. Not this season. I think this season he's going to build build a squad. And I think the likes of Coutinho, if they settle in well, then they stay on for longer than this season because he's on a loan deal now. But for Aston Villa this season, I think just finishing in the top half of the table will be considered a success for Gerard because I think he's coming at a time where the early part, the foundations weren't very strong. So he's had to reshape the team into his mould and then hopefully they build from there next year. All right, uh, moving on to the next game in the Premier League. Uh, of course, Brentford won, Wolves 2. So I mentioned earlier about this uh, Brentford being dragged into the relegation race. Uh, I think Brentford have largely impressed in the in the first season in the Premier League. Uh, but I, I think in terms of the overall creativity they have in the team, I, I don't see them scoring enough goals to be away from the relegation race. Uh, you, you look at Wolves, a, a team where they're playing, where Brentford are at home. I, I think this is a game where they would have at least expected a point or three points from this game. Um, and, and they didn't get that. And I thought Wolves were by far the better team in this fixture. Uh, Brentford, of course, are in the midst of trying to get uh, Christian Eriksen in, uh, who will add a lot of creativity to their play. So clearly they're trying to address something that is missing in their team, right? But again, with what's happened to Eriksen and all, as a football fan, I'll be happy to see Eriksen play in the Premier League again or even to play any form of top professional football. But again... Can you expect the intensity and creativity to come just from his return to the team? I, I'm not quite sure. Uh, you look at Tony and, and Buemu. I mean, they've had individual performances that have been quite good. But again, is it enough to keep Brentford in the league? I'm not quite sure. What do you think? I take your point. I take your point completely. I think Brentford are one of those feel-good clubs. It's, it's They've been a breath of fresh air since they came, came into the league. But they are very much stuck in a Premier League relegation battle purely because I think they are they don't get the results even when they play well. I think they, they they excite people with their brand of football, perhaps. Thomas Rang does it well post-match and all to give your your quotable sound bites almost to get some of the headlines. But as a club, I just feel like Brentford 
I mean, you just came up from the Championship and Brentford are not a household name in the Premier League. So that first season is all about just getting getting by and getting yourself in the Premier League for one more season and then build from there. I don't think uh, Christian Eriksen is the answer to their troubles because, yes, it'll be nice for the story of Christian Eriksen to find a club, play some regular football and then make his way to the uh, World Cup with the Denmark team. But... He isn't a player who you expect to drag you out of a battle. You know what I mean? Like he's uh he's icing on the cake. He's not he's not going to get stuck in week in, week out. I can see why Brentford are linked to him purely because their manager is Danish as well, so there must be some sort of mm-hmm. connection there. But essentially their key players like Tony, like Mbemo, who at some point or other we've all got in our fantasy Premier League teams. But how quick <laughs> have we been to sell them purely because they don't perform week in, week out? And yeah. that's the problem. Yeah. Like they will perform fleetingly, two goals he will score Tony, and then everybody will get them in their team. And then they'll be blank for so long. And then you see past two weeks in a row he's scored now. So it's the consistency that is lacking. Not surprising purely because they're a newly promoted club, but I think they will escape relegation if you ask me. But I think they're going to cut it close. Yeah, uh, completely agree with you. Uh, speaking of relegation, Leeds United nil, Newcastle won a big, big, big result. result for Newcastle before they go on a retreat to uh, Saudi Arabia. I don't um, think those words have been used ever <laughs> before, bro. Retreat to Saudi Arabia. Uh, Leeds United, you know, I, I fear for Bielsa. I mean, you look at what they have been able to fill this season, you know, a lot of times they have been really, really hampered by injuries. Uh, Patrick Bamford, I'm not sure if he's still alive at the moment. Check his fantasy uh, team. I heard he's quite uh, active. Quite active, right? Rafinha, Calvin Phillips has been injured for, for some time. I forgot about Calvin yeah, Phillips. Yeah, so what? I think really, I think Bielsa is doing what he can. But if you're not going to help him in the transfer market, because I've not seen any news of any rumours of Leeds United buying players. So it almost feels like uh, a board member or the board has decided, you know what, we might be going into the championship. Uh, let's save our budget here. You know, maybe we'll come back again next season, which is quite an atrocious decision to make. So I, I see Leeds United in the fact that they are at home and they can't win a Newcastle team. It's to me really, really uh, inching closer to disaster there. Uh, whereas Newcastle, on the other hand, I think they've bought the, the right profile of players in. I think we'll talk about it later uh, on the FPL radar because I've got a player here who impressed me. Um, but do you see either of these teams escaping relegation? Wow, that's a very difficult <laughs> question. Either of these teams escaping uh, relegation? Of course, you have to factor in Newcastle and what uh, they're going to sign, right? I take your point. I take your point. I think I think Leeds United almost, I think the week before, they got some 3-2 result against West Ham and then yes. there was such an important result. You expected Leeds to almost try and eat themselves out of it, but they didn't. And to lose to Newcastle was shocking purely because of the salary state of affairs that Newcastle find themselves in. Um... Do I see both these teams getting themselves out of a relegation battle? I I, I think there'll be both of them will be there uh, all the way throughout the season. But I think I okay, suspect to, to pause you there. Yeah. What do Newcastle need now to ensure that because basically they can get whatever they want, right? Okay, whatever is a strong word because players might not want to come there. But what do they need to ensure that they'll be far away from these teams that I have mentioned: Leeds, Brentford, Everton. I guess I guess the 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 plan is plain for all to see, right? They've got Chris Wood, who is going to head in your goals. Mm. So you've got Kieran Trippier, you're counting Kieran, Kieran Trippier to play the balls in. By someone else who will play the balls in as well, because I think when Kalen Wilson eventually comes back to fitness, they do have a decent strike force. They just lack the supply almost. Mm. I do think in the middle of the park, I know John Joe Shelby scored in midweek, but I don't think he's your player who's going to supply the ammunition all the time. Mm. Uh, Joe Willock, despite Shocking saving... signing, I'm sorry. Despite saving Steve Bruce so much Shocking last signing. season... 
I, that's the problem, right? When you sign a player on loan, he gives you his all, and then uh, whether once he becomes permanent, he's going to continue that form, you you don't know. And as Willock has proved, it's a shocking signing to your Joe point. Willock is an example of why you shouldn't listen to Arsenal fans on Twitter. <laughs> because they made him out to be the next uh, English great, the next Paul Innes. But wow, he's... To me, totally out of depth for a, a side in the Premier League. Uh, I think Newcastle got it wrong with that signing and they've got to rectify it. Uh, I've seen them getting linked to centre-backs, which is of course a positive because I think uh, the captain, Jamal Lachelles, has been quite out of depth as well. Shocking. Yeah. Uh, Fabian Shah as well hasn't quite lived up to his reputation. So maybe if they get Diego Carlos in from Sevilla, I think that's a fantastic signing. I think he should be playing for a team higher up the table. But again, you know, Newcastle with the money they have wouldn't be an issue. If they can get someone in uh, behind the striker so I think in the, in the previous games we've got Ryan Fraser again I think not the kind of player you want yeah. to be relying on in a rele- relegation battle someone like Jesse Lingard given Possibly. what he did yeah. uh, for West Ham last season even a Dele Ali, someone who has something to fight for yeah. you know something to prove mm. uh, and then you can get the the, cent- the central midfielder that you really need because again like you said Shelby Joe Willock your long stuff, your short stuff, <laughs> you know, it's, it's really not going to help yeah, you in a relegation yeah. battle. So, very, very interesting to see what they end up with. Uh, I won't be surprised if they even get in four or five players by the end of the yeah, window, yeah. you know. I, I I do think, I actually forgot about their defence, surprisingly enough, and it's good that you brought it up because their defence is absolutely shocking. They do need a signing. I'll be surprised if they get a continental player. I, I, I would be against that almost because not proven to do your relegation scrap for you. You're plucking a player from Sevilla who looks a class player, yes. Mm-hmm. But what you're talking about now, I think I said this a couple of pods ago, they need to be very functional with it. There's no point signing a European quality player when not say you're pushing higher up the table. You want stopgap. That's what they're looking for now. Where are they going to get that? It'll be interesting to see, but there are key positions. I like the idea of Jesse Lingard over Delhi Ali purely because I feel Jesse Lingard has a bit more to prove in that sense. Mm-hmm. Delhi Ali is let's just say very wayward at the moment. So it'll take him a lot to come back on side and fight the battle for uh, Newcastle as opposed to Jesse Lingard who he's done it before. He went to West Ham and then he turned his season around. Mm. And it is a World Cup year we're talking about. So Jesse Lingard, Gareth Southgate likes him but he needs performances, right? So why not go to Newcastle and just rediscover your mojo a bit? Yeah, Newcastle cannot afford to Dele Alley in the transfer <laughs> market. So very good. I think definitely they will need to get in reinforcements quick and fast. Uh, next game that we're talking about is of called Southampton against Manchester City. It's a bit of a deja vu because I think when they played the first time, uh, we were all expecting City to whack the living daylights out of them but ended up in a draw. And the same thing happened here where Southampton and Manchester City played out a 1-1 draw as well. Uh, wow, Raushan, I think, what is it about Southampton that, you know, we don't talk about them in a relegation battle clearly because, you know, they are a quality side. But again, they, they also don't really feature high up the table. But, when we see them, we seem to be impressed by them. What what do they need to take the next step? Because I think clearly uh, Hasan Hutel has done a fantastic job with what he has, especially losing Danny Ings, uh, losing other cu- a couple of important players like uh, the centre-back, Vestergaard, who Vestergaard, went to, yeah, to Leicester, Leicester City. Yeah. Wow, what a job he is doing. Uh, but what do they need now to go on and do much better in the in They the need to stop selling their players. <laughs> their best players, they need to stop selling. They sold Ings, they sold They Westergaard. need to block uh, Liverpool's number. Uh, basically, <laughs> stop <laughs> Liverpool from calling. Exactly. So they need to stop selling their best players. Mm. I, if you ask, if you get Hazan Nuttal drunk and you ask him, bro, what, what you want, bro? Stop fucking selling my players. Because yeah, yeah. every time he builds a decent, like I bet you, mm. Salisu is gone at the end of the season. Confirm. Oh, what, what a performance. Yeah. yeah. And it's not just, I know this Man City performance really 
a lot of people said, wow, Salisu, and then they threw up numbers yeah, and all. Yeah. But Salisu has been on the radar of many people all throughout the season. And I fear that Southampton again are going to be a selling club and sell him and then expect Hazen Hutel to, to do wonders with a replacement again. So stop selling the best players and back him a bit in the transfer market. I think some of the signings they've got, like look at who's their standout players this year, Broja. Mm. Uh, from Chelsea. Yep. Uh, Adam Armstrong and Yeah. Uh, I'm strong from the championship. Uh Watt Prowse, captain, free kick, magician, da da da. So, you know, I mean if they if they show a bit more ambition to match what Hazen Hutel can bring to the team, then Southampton can almost finish in the top half of the table at least. Yeah. I mean yeah. Europe is a stretch, but they're not I mean, too far Le- away. Leicester Leicester's spot in the top ten is exactly you know, numbered. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. So it's 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 you look at a club like West Ham backed by the board in a big way. I, I don't think I don't think anybody will disagree that Moyes is miles better than Hazard Hutel. In fact, both of them are possibly the same type of manager. You know what I mean? In yeah. terms of levels. Yeah. But see what happens when the board backs you? Like <laughs> he Moyes doesn't have to worry about his players being sold. He's backed with good transfers in the market. I think if Hazard Hutel doesn't find it, I expect Hazard Hutel to leave at the end of the season. And leave and go to Old Trafford is something I wouldn't mind. I've said maybe, it before. Maybe. He's one of my favorite uh, managers in the English Premier League. So why not? Also, he's he's come from the Red Bull background as well. So I don't see why he wouldn't be linked to Heard the job. here first. Yes, uh, exclusive, uh, Deepen Raj exclusive. <laughs> but who doing the hard work? <laughs> <laughs> if I speak, I'm in trouble. Uh, looking at the English Premier League table right now, of course, we, we have already written off the title race. Uh, any chance at all that this latest result uh, brings it back on? Because of course, now we look at the table. Uh, Liverpool have played 22 games and City have played one more, one more game than them. Uh, but already there's nine points uh, differentiating both teams. If Liverpool win the game in hand, it goes down to six points. And then if Liverpool beat City whenever they play, which is, so let me just quickly look at the fixture, yeah, 9th then April, be... then it's down to three points. So, is it over? Maybe not. I mean, mathematically it's not. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I fear for whoever Manchester City are going to play next, purely because every time Manchester City lose a game, yeah. they come out and wallop the next team. And let me just quickly look at who they are playing next. Ah, they play Brentford. <laughs> I mean, they play Fulham in the cup first and then they play Brentford and then Norwich. So, so I, I, I don't see City slipping up. I really don't. I mean, as much as I want a title race, purely for entertainment sake, so we have things to talk about every week's sake, I, I'll be very surprised if City let up. Yeah, I agree game. with you. Yeah. Uh, let's move on to the other games, of course, and this is where we bring in the whole uh, VAR controversy. Uh, Crystal Palace Clear won... penalty, what? <laughs> <laughs> we will talk about it. Crystal Palace won, Liverpool 3. Uh, of course, the main decision here was the penalty afforded to uh, Diego Jota uh, when he went down because of a challenge uh, from Guaita. Look, to me, if you are saying that this is a penalty... Either you you are wearing some top brand red goggles or you are blind. So to me, first of all, basically Jota was rewarded for losing the ball. The ball was already going out of his reach. He took a a misstep in in a certain sense. And the ball was going out of reach. And then Guaita was there, clearly trying not to challenge. But because there was contact, referee gave a penalty. And to me, if you are looking at the replay five, six, seven times, is it really a clear and obvious error? I don't think so, right? So again, I don't understand where people are coming from when they say that it was a stone. I saw I saw some buffoon on, on Twitter saying it was a stonewall penalty. What is the, what is the need for debate, etc.? I'm sorry, but you're so off the mark. I think at the end of the day, these are the decisions that you know will cost teams. I mean, Crystal Palace are not going to be involved in a relegation race, but they were clearly in it to, to get a point. And, and okay, you know what? There's only one form of argument that I buy. 
which uh, Farah, Farah, of course, our friend, uh, tweeted a few times saying about how, uh, I mean, Liverpool have been hard done by in, in other games and, you know, this is fair for us. That I can buy. You know, in, in a way, I think you said it before, over the course of the seasons, these decisions, they cancel balance out. Themselves. Yeah, they balance, yeah. Out, balance out each other. But in terms of a decision that was given, this has to be debated and said that it was wrong. So, so that is what the discussion is about. You can't ex- exactly say, like, oh, it's a penalty and that's why it's a penalty. I'm sorry, but that's very off the mark. What, what do you think? I think the timing of the awarding of the penalty is what baffled a lot of people. Purely because Crystal Palace, after essentially being outplayed for the first half, came into it in the second half, pulling one back and then could have possibly grabbed themselves a point. Because we've seen that again and again by Liverpool. They don't control games. They take an early lead and then they look a bit dubious at the back. And that's what happened. After they considered 2-1, Crystal Palace almost had a fighting chance. And for that fighting chance to be quashed out by such a dubious decision is really a shocking decision. I, I I watched it. I watched the replays and I've read everything that's been said online and I agree with you completely. The only reason it makes sense is because you win some, you lose some. Rub of the green stuff. Not because nobody can justify that decision. When you watch, this is on LFC YouTube page. Eh? So if the club who usually... I mean, a club, when they put out highlights, they will try and make themselves look good. Yeah. You go and see the highlights when you can, whoever's listening to this, on the YouTube page. They show you an angle where Jota clearly <laughs> moves into Guaita. And to your point, referee Kevin Friend had to see it 10 bloody times. Yeah. So it's not a clear and obvious decision. What I want, I'm trying to find out now is who the fuck was the fourth official, yeah. uh, VAR official, mm-hmm. telling him to go and have another look. Yeah. It makes no sense to me. And I, this is not me saying, oh, Liverpool don't deserve to win. All I'm saying is Liverpool don't deserve that penalty. Yeah. Uh, Liverpool po- probably deserve to get all three points I agree. through the game. Yes. All I'm saying is taking this decision into isolation it needs to be taken separately. Like There's a lot of people who will say, like for example when United score uh, almost outside goal then there's a wagon who jumps on it. This is not a wagon. This is about the whole VAR issue and why is it so inconsistent that it boggles our mind. We've been doing this for long enough. Mm. Even before doing this we used to debate about VAR decisions. Here we are still debating VAR decisions cannot lah. Yeah, I, I think the referee definitely needs to get better. Um, how, I'm not quite sure, but it definitely needs to be overhaul of uh, the quality of referees in the Premier League because time and again, I think people have uh, watched their teams lose a result because of the refereeing decisions. Again, like you said, Liverpool probably deserved all three points. I'm not taking that away. But if this was 1-1, would the penalty have been given? I'm not quite sure. So definitely, uh, the consistency in terms of refereeing has to get better. And like you said, I don't think Patrick Vera will call Kevin a friend uh, anytime <laughs> Not soon. Not at all, man. Yeah, so let's move on to the other game, of course, Arsenal against Burnley. Um, there was also, of course, a, a controversial decision here. So I personally felt that uh, Ashley Westwood uh, from Burnley should have been red-carded for the first challenge. Uh, people talked about the second challenge where he should have got a second yellow. That I don't think was a yellow, but the first challenge to me seemed like a red. And again, you know, got off. But I would not blame that result on the referee. This was totally Arsenal's doing. You are at home against a Burnley side that hasn't played football for God knows how long. Uh, quite surprised that this game went ahead <laughs> now with Arsenal and Burnley playing. But you've got us, you've got um the team that for the taking, you know, Burnley haven't played. So to me, I expected this to be a 2-0, 3-0, or, or I was even expecting a bigger scoreline. But Arteta simply, I think, dropped the ball. You look at the, the team selection, okay, fine. You know, he put out a very strong lineup. I think there's not, nothing much to debate there. Uh, maybe Tomiyasu missing was, was a thing. But again, I, I don't think they had much to defend against Burnley. It's more about the attacking quality. You had Lacazette, 
You had Emil Smithrow, you had Saka, you had Odegaard, Martinelli, everything there. And clearly, if this isn't working for the large majority of the game, what would you do as a as a coach? You would try to change the either the system that your team is playing or the personnel that you that the <laughs> team is playing. But he waited for so long before just bringing on Enketia. I know Arsenal fans will point to the fact that, oh, look at uh, Arsenal, they, they don't have Pate, they don't have Shaka. I'm sorry, but these players were sent off. It's not like it's not like uh, they were injured and yeah, then it's like yeah. uh, some bad luck. And then people talk about how look at the bench, there are a lot of youth players on the bench. Again, you've sent out Maitland-Niles on loan. Oh, yeah. You've sent out Pablo Mario on loan. Oh, yeah. You've sent out Balogun on loan. It, this is all your decisions that you have made. And and to to my point about uh, the likes of Aubameyang, you know, you've ostracized him from the squad. Um, Gwenduzi early on in the season, Saliba, all quality players. So basically, if you're the coach and you've decided, okay, I'm, I'm not going to use these players. And then when suddenly you don't have players in your squad... You who, don't have legs to stand on, Yeah, you don't on, have right? legs to yeah, stand on. Yeah. And then people talk about how, oh, uh, at the end of the day, they should have strengthened here, strengthened there. But I'm sorry, you had the chance to do so and you didn't do it. You've got to live with your squad, right? And for so long, Arsenal fans like to talk about, oh, my young play, our young players are this, our young players is that. Then use your young players. Uh. And at the end, they, this goes back to something that we've talked about earlier in the season. Arsenal, at the end of the day, they have young players in the main team. So sometimes you're going to get a 8 out of 10 performance. Sometimes you'll get a 5, 6 out of 10 performance. And this was one of them where they couldn't put away a Burnley side. Do you now fear for what happens to their top four ambitions? I think it's hard to say what happens to their top four ambitions because when you look at the table, they are still mathematically in it. And I'm not saying like very far away. They are still very much in it By with the, way, the game in hand. Arsenal have zero wins in the last five games. I agree. Which agree. I didn't realize yeah. until I went to see their... The fixtures. Yeah, yeah, right. I agree. I can, I can, I can understand that. Uh, but I, I don't understand. I'll answer your question about top four in a while. But I don't understand what some fans are expecting of Arsenal. I really, agree. I agree. You, you bring up a good point. They have a very young team, and a couple of weeks ago, when results were going that way, Ateta was the savior of clearing out Deadwood. Uh, you know, putting the club first instead of Obama Young. He got rid of Özil a long time ago. He did. He did make those bold, big decisions. How can he go from that to now being absolutely out of his depth? I find shocking. I, I do agree with you that their problems are of their own doing purely because of the lack of quality they have on their bench and stuff like that now. But I don't know where Arsenal can be... Arsenal fans can find it in themselves to be so frustrated purely because when you look at that team then you expect... That's all you can expect of them. They are a young team. They are going to be inconsistent. Anything touching the top four is like winning a trophy purely because of the team they have. Whereas, for example, I'll, I'll, I'll shit on Manchester United as well. With a squad like that, if Manchester United don't finish in top four, it's a catastrophe. Yep. For Arsenal, with a team like that, if they finish in top four, it's a trophy. Mm. There's a difference in that. Mm. And I, I think Arsenal fans need to understand that and realise where they are. This is... I know all season long I throw shit at Arsenal fans, but this is honestly me saying it how it is. I do think Arsenal fans need to understand where they are as a club. And when you look at the bench, if they are sending out so many players on loan, selling players and stuff like that, you would think a big investment is coming soon. They've been linked to players. And I do think Ateta will stick around enough. I feel the board trusts him enough to, to tide it over. I think Europa League will be a step in the right direction for Arsenal as it is. And then maybe signings to come in to so-called supplement what they have. They have to replace the likes of Aubameyang. I think Lacazette needs to be refreshed as well. So I think Arsenal need to temper there. I can understand the disappointment of dropping points against Burnley, especially when West Ham dropped points and it was a chance to jump into the top four. But I think Arsenal fans need to realise that this is a longer term project and when we have youngsters it's going to be painful yeah so 
uh, to me, I think the the thing is, I I do read Arteta as a tactician, but a lot of the decisions he's made as a manager, I think, uh, is quite bad. So, like I said, in this game, you cannot wait until the seventy seventh minute to make a change when the same thing you've been doing for seventy six minutes hasn't been working. Do something earlier. Try to change something. Get the result. I know people are going to point to the bench and say like, oh, there's not much options there, blah, blah, blah. But the likes of Nuno Tavares and Katia, you could have brought them on earlier. Change the system a bit. Play Lacazette and uh, and Katia up front together. Stick Nuno Tavares on the left wing. Bring Emil Simifro centrally. Martinelli could have gone up front. So, so many things they could have done. Uh, and then going back to how, you know, uh, Adeta has ostracized some of the players easily. I think that is biting him now. And, and he's saying it. Even, even players like Jack Wilshere, you know, I, I know it's a, it's a very tough decision to make. Maybe he's not at the level required. But he's been training with you for a few months now. Is it really, really hard to give him a contract given that your your current midfield is not there for, uh. for, for, for you to get a good result? So that's something that I hope that Arsenal fans can also realise is what I'm saying. But going back to your point, I think Arsenal are where they're supposed to be. Fighting for fourth and in and around the top four spot is where they're supposed to be. You look at who's fighting for top four. Spurs, United... Okay, Spurs, maybe I think they have a... To me, personally, they, they have a far worse squad than uh, Arsenal. Yeah. But the fact that they're all in and around the top four is is testament to what Arteta has done. Uh, he's got in a lot of players. Yes, he spent a lot. Don't get me wrong. But you cannot spend a lot and then suddenly expect uh, Arsenal to go Overnight, shooting, right? yeah, uh, shooting yeah. on the table. I think it's a process there. At the end of the day, is someone like Lacazette someone who will lead the other top four teams, I don't think so. Mm-hmm. I don't think he gets into a United starting eleven. I don't think he gets on City's bench. I don't think he gets in Liverpool starting eleven. So, are we really saying that Arsenal have the squad to compete for top four? I don't think so. So, to me, you might even say that Atata is overachieving in, in this season. Uh, but maybe the reason why Arsenal fans are frustrated is because in the past two weeks, they have gone out of two cup yeah, competitions. Yeah. They expect at least a cup run. I understand that. Yeah, yeah. So, so maybe that's adding to the frustrations here. But I think... Arsenal fans need to take a step back and realise that uh, this season is possibly going better than what they would have expected. Uh, I, I still expect Arsenal to be in and around the top four till the end of the season. I mean, I did predict that Arsenal would end in the top four and I'm still sticking by it. I think when uh, when the players return, like when Shaka and when Partey return to the lineup, I think they will have that stable base. I think Gabriel and um, Ben White have done fantastic yeah. for, for them in defence. Ramsdale looks like a superb signing. Uh, it's just that, can they get that striker that I feel they really, really need uh, before the January window ends. I think that will, will really, really propel them into bona fide top four challenges. Yeah, possibly. Yeah, so for Burnley, of course, uh, you don't have to talk much about them because they, of course, got lots of games remaining. Uh, we'll talk more about them as the season goes on. Uh, let's look at Leicester City against Brighton. Wow, Leicester City are going from bad to worse. Uh, they were actually boot off uh, at the final whistle in this encounter and they didn't even lose the game. They drew the game against Brighton who are not so bad after all. Because they lost the lead again, right? Yeah, they took bas- the lead through Petson Daka and then they succumbed to an equaliser. Yeah, so uh, uh, basically, I think um, Leicester's Premier League uh, season is going from bad to worse. Mm. What needs to happen now for them to turn around the season? Ranieri needs to come back. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Daily ding, daily <laughs> um, I, 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 maybe if they run on another, go on another fairy tale cup run, you never know. That could uh, excite the terraces a bit. But it's looking very difficult for Leicester because, again, I said this last week as well, and I'll repeat it. It's the fact that last season they were in and about top four positions, Europe at least. And then this season they are in 10th and barely clinging on to 10th because below them you got an informed Aston Villa you got Southampton who are vying for a place in the top 10. So it's it's not gone to plan for Brendan Rodgers and that's where I think almost it's a... It might be-
might be a case of glass ceiling. He's taken the club as far as possible. I mean, they we cannot always go back to that fairy tale Leicester winning the league title season anymore, right? That was an anomaly, right? What is the biggest possibility for Leicester from here? I'm sure they want to be in Europe. When I say Europe, Champions League is a, a big deal. Europa League is more their level. They want that consistently. Can Brendan Rodgers deliver that? It's hard to write him off after one bad season, but as far as seasons go, I think Leicester City are one of the most outformed teams in the league. Yeah, and meanwhile, Brighton, I, I think they are going from strength to strength. Uh, one name, of course, that's been linked to almost every other job in the Premier League when there's a vacancy is, of course, Graham Potter. Uh, tough question to ask, maybe, but is it time for Potter to move on and get a job where there's better resources? Because you look at what he's done with this Brighton team, I think it's impressive given that Brighton's players don't really set the pulses racing. I mean, you, you look at, with the exception of Trossard, who, who I rate highly, Neil Maupe and the rest of the gang, I'm not quite sure, you know, they have what it takes. Is it time where he takes on a, a bigger job? Let's say even this Everton vacancy, because Everton as a club, rich with history. They've got Calvert-Lewin, Richarlison, a lot of tools there that you can use. Is it time? Well, possibly. I would think he wouldn't leave mid-season. I would think he wants to see the Brighton project out for this season because I think they are doing very, very well as compared to uh, they have done previously. When you ask, when you were telling me what your thoughts about Graham Potter and whether he should move on, I just looked at the league table and apart from Everton, who else mm. would take Graham Potter on? At this Arsenal? At this point, I don't think... Uh, possibly, possibly. You think he's Arsenal-worthy? I would I would like to see a manager being rewarded based on merit and getting a big job because Arsenal are a big club. I would think Arsenal is a more enticing proposition than Everton at this point, purely because of the way Everton are run. Uh, and if there's... With Ateta, it's almost like he's a club legend and that will always weigh on his head that you only got the job by virtue of being a club legend and maybe be, being Pep Guardiola's uh, sidekick, right? Mm. Maybe Potter goes in there and then plays his brand of football, which we've seen Brighton play with better players and we see how it goes. But I do think Graham Potter... You, you know what's my biggest worry? That Graham Potter goes to a bigger club, fails, and then loses way, his way entirely. That's my biggest worry because... Potter I, losing his magic. Uh, oh, well done. I do think uh, Potter losing his magic will be... Will be, will be very hard to take. Mm -hmm. So, I his next move needs to be the right one. Otherwise, it could mean his career loses track of where he's, what he's trying to achieve. Yep, agree. Uh, let's end off with, of course, Chelsea against Tottenham. Um, I, I feel at the end of the day, I mean, we look at Tottenham and we think that they're top four worthy side. But this game, to me, exposed how bad the squad is. I think, I'm not sure whether Conte was trying to send a message, but he started with Sessegnon, he started with Doherty, uh, a lot of players that you don't really think should be in and around a top four battle at the moment. Um, do you think Conte will get the reinforcements needed? And would you say that yesterday's game was a showcase of how far Spurs are away, are away from a top four battle? Uh, I do I do think Spurs have a very, very bad squad. We've heard Conte say it time and again. And when I look at the team yesterday, it does feel like it was a message to the board. I'm sorry, but sorry to interrupt again, just because it came to my mind. Ben Davis, like yeah. Tanganga, oh my God. To me, okay, I've, I've seen Tangaga have good games, yes. But I've watched the last three or four matches. He is so bad that it hurts my eyes. Mm. And to me, Tanganga, Ben Davis, all these guys should be playing much further down the table. But can you, in the next few weeks, get rid of them and basically replace them with quality? I don't think so. Which, yeah. is, why, which is why it makes Arsenal fans' reaction a bit hard to take because... I don't think Spurs are going to be sticking around this top four battle for, for, for much longer. Because you see, they, they have to face a lot of quality sides in the in the fixtures to come. So it's basically United and, and Arsenal that I think 
personally will challenge for the top four. Okay, I, I might be proven wrong if you know he gets Adama, he gets other players because of course Spurs have been linked to sending Endomble to PSG. Yep. They might get someone from PSG, someone like with Na- uh, with or Drexler yeah, yeah. Uh, might add to the squad for sure. And Son Heung-min still has to come back, so it might be different. But as it stands, I don't see how Spurs are going to get rid of all this dead wood and suddenly change overnight. I do agree. I think Conte has said it many times in post-matches as well that his squad is bad. He needs more than a year, I think he said, to yeah, turn things years, around. Yes, yes. Yes, in fact. Yeah. And it's nice to see Conte claiming he'll stick around for years. I don't know if he's a years kind of guy. But if Spurs don't back their manager, I don't see Conte sticking around for much longer because he's come in. He's got some eye-catching results like the late victory against Leicester and stuff like that. But ultimately, f- to match the ambitions that the manager has for the club, they have to spend. Uh, of course, there's rumours of clearing out Ndombele, clearing out Dele Ali. A lot of the defence needs to go and refresh themselves as well. But... Do they do that in the next six, seven days? Yeah. I, I, I find that hard, hard to believe that mm. they will they will do enough in the next six, seven days. And also, not just six, seven days. Historically, Spurs have never been big spenders. The only time I remember them splashing the cash is when possibly they sold Gareth Bale and then signed like five players, mm. replace him. Mm. Okay, you can argue they brought in Ndombele for big money, so they do, they're not averse to spending big money. But what Conte wants now needs big investment. Is Levy your guy to give you big investment? I don't know. I'm very excited to see that battle play out because if Conte doesn't get his man or get his way, we know how he can act up. So as much as Spurs have this grand ambition to grow into that new stadium they have, unless they back their manager in the transfer window, they will not achieve that. And I think unless Conte is backed, he will he will find it very difficult. His hands are basically tied with the players he have. So I think it'll be difficult for Spurs to finish in the top four based on the team they have now. I'm completely in agreement with you. And I also am going to add that I don't think they're going to do much from now till the end of the transfer window. Yeah, to me, it's shocking also the investments they've made in recent seasons if you're basically... Uh, trying to let go of Ndombele, Lo Celso and also Brian Hill who just came in this season. That's three players that you just bought in the last two, three years that you want to get rid of right now. And of course, you look around, Dele Ali is also someone that Conte doesn't want anymore apparently if you read the reports. So all these players in midfield he wants to get rid of, can you replace them with with signings? Like you said, I, I don't see that and happening. And not overnight as well. Like yeah. if you are talking about four or five midfielders to leave the club, it's not, not FIFA, no, where you sell players, bring yeah. players and they yeah. fit in seamlessly. It's it's actual football, actual Premier League football. And that's why I think this Spurs cleanup job might be one of the biggest that needs to be done in the Premier League. Before we move on to uh, the fantasy radar and finish off things, just want to talk about the incident about Harry Kane when he received the ball and of course, uh, he put the ball in the back of the net but was a judge to have fouled Thiago Silva. Just my take on it is to me, it's quite sad to see that these things are called for a foul. I can understand why it was a foul because at the end of the day, the referee will look at uh, how Harry Kane pushed uh, Thiago Silva with his hand, right? But... A 37-year-old from Rio de Janeiro <laughs> in the hard streets of Brazil yeah. going down with one hand and flying the way he did. Yeah. I'm sorry, common sense tells you that that's not, a, that's not a foul, you know? At the end of the day, if you're giving fouls for that, then I think every foul uh, in, the, in, the, in the league has to be examined, right? Because there are so many of those like using your hands, your shoulders to just get the leverage, right? So to me, it wasn't a foul. It was basically Thiago Silva being smart uh, enough to do If he was a young player in that position, I don't think he would have uh, yeah. flown the way that he yeah. did. Yeah. So again, you know, I feel like sometimes, just like how Jota was rewarded for uh, losing the ball, Thiago Silva was rewarded for missing the, uh, the re- or rather reading the, the ball wrongly. So to me, these are the decisions that will, of course, go against the team. Because if Spurs had scored this goal and it was given, 
they were they were in the lead. Yeah. So so to me, I think these are the kind of decisions that needs to be reviewed and ensure it doesn't happen again. Agree. I, I know I've seen uh, a lot of people come out to say, oh, but it's a it's a foul, it's a push. I'm sorry, but if it happens to your team, I don't think you'll be yeah, saying the same yeah. thing. And I think to add salt to the wounds, Thiago Silva went on to score the yes. game that eventually, the goal that eventually sealed the game as well, right? I, for one, having seen it, I think it's very, very harsh on uh, Spurs not for the goal to be disallowed purely because I take your point, it's smart. When you're at Premier League level, you need to play smart as much as you play hard. But to your point, if you're the attacking team, if you're supporting the attacking team, you're never going to be comfortable with their decision or entirely convinced that it's a foul. So Spurs can feel very hard done by because it could have been very different if they scored first. But honestly, I don't think Spurs have enough to have held on to the lead even if they took it. All right, uh, let's move on now to the fantasy radar. Alright, this is where we talk about players who stood up from an FPL perspective. Uh, Raushan, I'll start with you. Who is one player that impressed you? For me, one player who's caught my eye is Michael Olise. I think he's, uh, he's a very exciting player to watch, daring to take on a player in front of him, always looking to pass the ball forward, always looking to thread the ball through to his attackers. So I like the way Olise plays and if I were trying to take a left field option, I'd go for Lise purely because he's he's proven that he can bring you points. I think a couple of weeks ago, he got 11 points against West Ham, which was a really good return. He looks like a creative player and Crystal Palace, we see, have creativity in them and they have strikers to finish off goals. So why not plumb for someone like Lise? And when you look at his upcoming fixes, they got Norwich, they got Brentford, then they have a difficult one against Chelsea, but Chelsea at the end of the day, if they don't get their defence together, they might be culpable to conceding goals and then they got Burnley and Wolves so I, I wouldn't mind plumping for Elise just as a left field option alright uh, for me uh, the player who has impressed me in the past game was Kieran Trippier uh, I, I expected him to do well uh, when he joined Newcastle simply because of the experience that he has of course a league winner with Atletico Madrid as well but what's impressed me so far is that he's always looking forward uh, for the next pass uh, and I think Newcastle's fixture helps him as well uh, in the coming game weeks, they play uh, Everton and Aston Villa at home. Uh, and then they face uh, out of sorts, almost West Ham United. And then Brentford, Brighton come up next. So again, in these five fixtures, you, you basically can see Trippier gaining some points, whether it assists points, uh, whether it's clean sheets even. Because the next two games, I, I could possibly see them getting clean sheet against Everton and, and Aston Villa at home. So I think in terms of Newcastle, this is the player to look out for. Of course, uh, things could change in the next few game weeks, of course, with Newcastle looking to make some signings before the window ends. Uh, which brings me to the end of the show. Um, the next game week is, of course, on the 9th of February. That's the next game week, of Seems course. like a aeon away. The yeah, the current uh, game week, of course, ends with uh, a Watford's fixture against Burnley. But the next game week is, of course, 9th Feb. Uh, but till then, of course, enjoy the international break. Uh, break and of break, break eh? uh, and, a <laughs> bit hungry, of, yeah. and a bit of the FA Cup uh, if your team is still in, of and course. And enjoy some Kuwaitat also, like Chinese New Year around the corner. <laughs> Thanks for listening. We'll speak to you soon. Thank you.